Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and as promised, uh, we have gone to the ultimate inside source. Uh, we know uh, a lot of you have your uh, heads a spinning. Uh, first, just the overall price tag of $1.9 trillion on the stimulus package uh, set, uh, I think, for a House vote tomorrow. Uh, but we're hearing lots of things like, uh, you know, what will the parliamentarian say? Budget reconciliation, bird rule, and so on. Uh, and those can all be uh, things that just uh, cause you to get lost in the minutiae of it all. And so we thought we better bring in our good friend James Walner from uh, R Street uh, to give us uh, a good breakdown on where we are and what we're likely to be listening to and what we should be listening for in the days ahead. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, so so help us break this down a little bit. Looks like the bill will get a vote in the House, uh, possibly as early as tomorrow, uh, and we're assuming that will go on party lines and be passed, and then we'll head over uh, to the Senate side. So uh, once that happens, uh, walk us through uh, what we should be watching for. Well, once the bill comes over to the Senate, what will happen is that the Senate will take up that bill, most likely. They will then offer their own version of that legislation to it as an amendment, if um, unless they've been pre-negotiating everything and ironing out all the differences beforehand, which it doesn't look like they have. And then they will have up to 20 hours of debate on that reconciliation bill, after which they will then try to pass it. And under reconciliation, it's a fast-track privilege process, which means senators cannot filibuster the bill. And it means that there are certain uh, germaneness restrictions or um, other limits on what amendment senators can offer to that bill on the floor. So, so let's talk about that budget reconciliation thing <laughs> for just a second, <laughs> uh, because this is not the regular order of the Senate. So where did this come from? Why do we have this and why do we keep using it? <laughs> well, we're using it for reasons not for which it was established. So that shouldn't surprise your listeners. But in 1974, Congress passed a Budget Act, and, it, and essentially this legislation that it passed back then was meant to, to empower Congress vis-a-vis the executive, make the spending and budgeting process a little bit more rational and understandable. And part of that was that you would pass a budget resolution where you set out the top-line spending and tax uh, amounts for five to ten years. And then Congress would come and appropriate money and to meet those lines. But we have this thing called permanent law, permanent tax law. And so reconciliation is a way to reconcile those permanent laws with the budget resolution that Congress just passed. And they wanted to protect it from a filibuster so that it would be easier for Congress to pass these uh, types of legislation. There you go. Okay, so now let's get to uh, to the bird rule and the role of the parliamentarian uh, in this whole process. And and obviously this is all pointing towards the contentious issue of the $15 minimum wage that is in the House version. Uh, how is that going to play out in the Senate? 
Well, you know, just to pick up on the history, you can imagine once the Senate developed a way to get around the filibuster, that senators started to use it for non-budgetary type things. And so about mid-1980s, Senator Robert Byrd, whom the Byrd rule is named after, um, came up with a rule to limit the amount of extraneous material or unrelated material that can be included in a reconciliation bill. And there are certain uh, prohibitions in that rule, and one of them is if you have something that is that does have a budgetary impact, but it's not really the reason you're offering it um, to this bill, you can't do that. And that's the, the critique of the minimum wage. The minimum wage will have a negligible impact on the federal budget. However, the real reason you want to offer a minimum wage is not to bring down those budgetary levels to align with the budget resolution. It's to make policy to pass a minimum wage. And so that's the argument. Now, the parliamentarian comes into play here because she consults past practices and says whether or not the Senate has decided something like this before. And as you can guess, there is no strict definition of what meets this bird rule criteria. It's all based on what the Senate did in the past. So she's very in the driver's seat right now. Uh, fascinating. And and I guess there is a, even a scenario, though, where you could have the parliamentarian rule one way um, and then have the Senate overrule the parliamentarian. Well, that's correct. I, I really would encourage your listeners to think about this, not necessarily in terms of the parliamentarian is a staffer, just like I was when I worked in the Senate. And, and the parliamentarian advises senators on what senators did in the past. Senators ultimately are the ones who make decisions. The presiding officer rules. And if the Senate disagrees with the presiding officer, the Senate can overturn that ruling. That's ultimately how it works. So the parliamentarian doesn't have any power to ultimately restrict what the Senate does and does not do. That's right. And and are those uh, – if there was a vote to overrule the parliamentarian's decision, uh, I can't remember. Is that a uh, just a majority or does that, does that have to get to 60? So if we haven't made this complicated enough for your <laughs> listeners, I mean, it's a two-step process here because nothing's ever easy in nothing's the Senate. Easy so in the, the Budget Senate. Act of 1974 <laughs> – the Budget Act that I mentioned, um, one of the provisions of the Budget Act says that it requires a three-fifths vote to overturn the ruling of the chair with regards to the Byrd rule. And that's pretty interesting because usually it only takes 51 senators, not 60. Well, you, it takes 60 now. However, you can basically, and this is how Senate majorities got rid of the filibuster, you can use the nuclear option to get rid of that provision of the Budget Act. And, and, but that would take two votes. And so just to walk you through it, you would first, over, you would first uh, have vote on the appeal. If you fail to get 60, the parliamentarian and the chair would say, well, that doesn't work. We can't do that. And then the Senate could then vote again at 51 to say that, no, we can do that at and they would have to change the budget act in that way. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Clear as not going to make it easy on you. Uh, never. It's never easy in the United States Senate, uh, for sure. And some of that's good. Some of that's by design, we know, to, to slow things down and, and get us to a good debate. But uh, I think we've lost the good debate and the good amendment process uh, as part of all of this. And as you mentioned earlier, the fact that uh, senators can't uh, amend, they can't offer amendments to improve, uh, that uh, a lot of this ends up being the, the fake fight and the false choice uh, played out uh, once again. So as you uh, look at your crystal ball coming up uh, over the next week here, how do you how do you see this playing out? 
Well, I think a lot of this will be pre-negotiated in the Senate, as it usually is. We'll Always. see another voterama <laughs> like we did with the budget resolution. But I would also like to remind your listeners, and if you think back to the Affordable Care Act, you saw this play out. Senate majorities and senators will often threaten reconciliation or threaten to use the nuclear option so that they can force or encourage other senators to work with them. And I suspect there are a lot of Republicans who aren't as opposed to a minimum wage as uh, maybe some conservative Republicans are. And given that, I would expect, I may be wrong, that a really aggressive threat to either nuke the filibuster or nuke the Byrd rule to include the minimum wage um, could be persuasive to get over that 60-vote hurdle um, to waive the Budget Act and include it if, indeed, they can't – pressure the parliamentarian to advise that it is in fact allowed wow crazy stuff well we will continue to keep our eye on that james walner always appreciate your insight breaking down the senate for us uh we'll see how that plays out in the days ahead thanks for joining us have a great weekend thanks for having me all right again that's our good friend james walner uh, joining us from r street consulting uh out of washington dc uh it is a complicated process to be sure in the united states senate uh but it will be very interesting and very telling uh, in terms of where everyone is, especially as it relates to the $15 minimum wage, uh, if they decide to break the rules, to change the rules, uh, so that they can push that through will also be fascinating stuff to watch. Uh, and again, we're looking at $1.9 trillion. Uh, some of that is absolutely vital and critical to the American people and to small business. And then there's a whole host of things uh, that are not related to that, that are part of that $1.9 trillion. Uh, including the $15 minimum wage, which should be debated and voted on independently. That should have to stand on its own. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, uh, our good friend Scott Howell is going to join us. We're going to talk about Dixie State University, what's happening on Utah's Capitol Hill, coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.